Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, guys. It is good to see you. If we haven't met yet, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Anchor, and it's fun to be with you this morning. Uh, how many of you guys, show of hands, were here last week, either at Central, online, or at Lincoln, when we did our week one of this series that we are calling Pinched? Okay? Okay. Awesome. So I wasn't here. I was actually teaching week one over at Lincoln, which was a ton of fun. But Brian, I listened to the message. He did a really good job of, of kind of unpacking what does Jesus have to say to us about our money and what is our mindset going into it, right? If you were here, you remember talking through this idea of the problem of enough and that sometimes we suffer from an abundance or a scarcity, but really the root cause is that a lot of us worry about money. Right? I've worried about money. You've probably worried about money. People with tons of money worry about money, right? Like it's just, it's something that we do. One of the hearts behind this series is we think that times are tough financially. Uh, I had a moment the other day that was a little surreal where I was excited that I saw the price of gas at $5 even, which I was like, that's exciting. I was like, that's also sucky that I'm, ex- like, that I'm excited about that. Like that, okay, that's where we are. Um, One of the organizations that Anchor partners with is an organization called Thrivent Financial. Their heart is to have people have what our our Lincoln worship director calls a wise relationship with money. Uh, For those of you that know know him, Jeremy Dawson is a worship director at our Lincoln location, and his day job is he works for Thrivent Financial. And Jeremy has a dream that I have come alongside with him, and it's also become my dream as well, which is this, is that everyone at Anchor would have a wise relationship with their money. Now, my like pie in the sky dream is that everyone at Anchor gets rich. Like, that's rad. That'd be cool. Sign me up for that. But like my realistic dream that we want to see, the change we want to see in this community is this, is that everyone here would have a wise relationship with their money, whether they have a lot or they have a little. We just think this, like, how many cool things could we do as a church? Could you do as a family? Could you do as an individual if you had a wise relationship with money? One of the things that we've known going into this series is some, some pretty sobering statistics on Americans' relationships with money. Uh, the first one, we got these from Thriving. The first one, we're going to put those up on the screen, says this. 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 70% have less than $1,000 in savings. And 52% have zero. 75% are struggling to pay down their debt. And as you can see, there are some very sobering statistics on what um, Americans are doing or really are not doing in regards to retirement. One of the things that I like being able to do in my role as, as executive pastor here or director of ops in previous organizations is I get to work with a lot of younger employees and I get to talk to them about the importance and the need for setting aside money for retirement. Um, because we can see the statistics, like there's, we're just not doing it. And this is a problem, right? But it's a problem that actually doesn't just have future implications. It has real-life personal health implications as well. The next slide says this, that 65% of Americans would say that they lose sleep over finances. I am in that 65%, right? A lot of you probably are as well. Uh, 70% of divorces are caused by financial issues. And 73% of Americans who die today are $62,000 in debt. We don't have a wise relationship with money. 
One of the things that we realize is when we look at statistics and then we look at a room this size with this in the 9 a.m. and our Lincoln location is this, is that these statistics might not be exactly representative of this room, but they're probably close. Like uh, this room might struggle less than those statistics up there. It might struggle more actually. We don't know, but we think it's a pretty good kind of bellwether mark. And so what that means is this, is that I think for a lot of us, we've walked in today and maybe we didn't know, or maybe we forgot because it's summer that this was the money week or the money series. And you're in here and you're like, oh, my anxiety is starting to go up. (laughs) Like I didn't like money has been in this black box over here. And I've hid it away and I don't want to talk about it. And now the pastor is putting it in the front of the stage and opening the box and I don't want to see what's in my box. Like if that's you, if that's your anxiety, I want you to know a couple of things. Like one, I've been there and you're going to be okay. Like two, the number should, like you are not alone in feeling that. Like you are not alone in feeling that. There are people in this room who are feeling that with you. There are people in this room, and this is one of the cool things about the church, there's people in this room who have felt that and now have been able to move into a better, more wise spot with their money, and they would love to have conversations with you. That's what it needs to be the church. Uh, For my detailed people, some brass-like tax on why we get to this is is the average budget for an American looks something like this. The debt-to-income ratio is about 45%, right? So that's how much of your income is taken up paying off debt. That could be student loan, it could be credit card, it could be consumer, it could be medical, uh, any of those things. Uh, Taxes are 25%. We really don't get to do much with that. Um, That's just what it is. Living expenses are about 33%. And if you can read or do math or some combination of both, you have noticed that as up to 103%. This is where we get that most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck or sometimes paycheck to credit card and paycheck, right? And so if you look, what this leaves for things like savings and giving, it leaves nothing for them. And oftentimes those are the last things that we do if either we plan poorly or we have failed to plan. So why, why do most Americans end up this? We can see the health detriment that it causes. We can see the negative effects that it has on people. So why are so many people in this situation? I think the first is probably this. I think sometimes money scares us, right? Like I said, a lot of us, we have this in this box and we don't really talk about money. We don't touch money. We don't deal with money. We're bad at talking about money as a culture. We either don't talk about it or we talk about it in a flashy, non-helpful, abrasive way. And so a lot of times like money scares us because anything that we don't know well, we're kind of afraid of. Sometimes we don't know where to begin when it comes to finances, or sometimes we're afraid to ask questions about it because we don't want to look dumb. I remember the first time I got a budget spreadsheet as a 20-year-old, and there were five words on there that I didn't know and I didn't want to ask. But I was freaked out. As a 20-year-old, I was like, I don't know what alimony is. Do I have that? I don't. It's fine. Um, (laughs) But I didn't know. (laughs) And I was like, do I Google this? Is this safe to Google? What is this? Like, I don't get it. Like... And it's fine, but like we have those things where we go like, oh, I feel like everyone knows this and people are going to think I'm dumb if I ask this question. And so I had to get to a point where I, was be, where I was more willing to look dumb asking a question than I was to look dumb with my finances. Like I had to be more willing to say, no, I'm going to ask this question to figure out what's going on. Um, I think sometimes that we end up in that kind of bad budget situation, uh, not because we're afraid of it, not because we're scared of it, not because of a lack of knowledge, but because we actually misapply a biblical principle we talked about last week. 
So Jesus, last week in the, in the teaching we did in Luke 12, Jesus is out there and he's saying, stop worrying about money. Stop being so anxious. You care too much about this. I think a lot of times it's easy as, and I've seen this happen with, with young adults, with high schoolers, with older adults in the church, it's easy to look at Jesus' words and saying, you care too much to say, Jesus thinks it's okay if we're careless. And I would actually say this, Jesus wants us to be carefree, but not careless. And those are very different things. You see, careless is not budgeting, and then when it gets to the 25th of the month, and you're like, man, I'm out of money for food, I'm going to swipe the credit card at the grocery store, because I need food, right? And you forget the five Amazon purchases you made earlier that month. Um, That's careless, right? Carefree is actually budgeting to live below your means, and then not caring that your friends are doing cooler things than you because they're spending money you don't have. Careless is going to the car dealership to get a car and saying yes to the smooth-talking salesman who says all these great features that, of course, you're going to need, and you can definitely afford the monthly payment when he doesn't know your budget. That's careless. Carefree is going to that same car dealership, having a wise relationship with your money and saying, you know, that car does look really cool. I'm actually going to choose this one because I know that this is the monthly payment I have budgeted. And I don't care that my friends have nicer cars than me. And I don't care that my dad's like, why are you driving that old beater? Because it's the right thing for me financially, dad. Right, like those are, that's the difference between careless and carefree. I think this, that being carefree, which is what Jesus wants for us, comes from a place of freedom. We talked about it a little bit last week. We're going to talk a lot about freedom this week and where our freedom comes from. Uh, There's a famous passage in the New Testament that talks about freedom, and it talks about this trap that we run into around freedom around Jesus. Galatians 5.1 says this. He says, It is for freedom that Jesus Christ has set you free. It says that we have been set free so that we can live into freedom. Now, the church throughout its entire history when dealing with freedom in Jesus has generally gone to two extremes that are neither, neither of them are healthy. One is this, as they say, freedom in Christ actually means I need to follow every rule and everything that Jesus would ever want me to do. And I can look at the Ten Commandments and then the 70 other things I see in the Old Testament and these things that like my pastor once said and the rabbi once said, and I'm going to follow all of these rules because I'm living in Christ. And that's what freedom in Christ means. And Paul says, like, that's actually really, really restrictive. But the other extreme that we go to sometimes that's not healthy as a church is we get to go over here and go, man, Jesus died for all of my brokenness. He died for all of my sins. He died for all of my mistakes. Therefore, I can do whatever I want because isn't that what freedom is? And both these are not healthy, right? They're, they're extremes that are not healthy and they're actually not accurate about what freedom is. So in Galatians 5, 13, it says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. See, I love this. In this verse, he's saying, like, you are called to freedom, not rule following. But don't follow every, like, don't do whatever you want to indulge your flesh, because that's not what freedom is about. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So we're going to talk about freedom. All right, Galatians 5.1 says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
If we think back to those stats that I showed at the beginning, the stats from Thriving that talk about how most Americans are handling money or really how money is handling them, uh, that doesn't look like freedom, right? In fact, that looks like being indebted or being in servitude towards money itself, right? Think about that. We have to pay interest on the debt that we incur. We have to buy things to make ourselves feel good. We have to keep making more and more and more to have a bitter sense of security. We can't be generous the ways that we would want to or that we think Jesus would want us to because we have goals of accumulating more and more and more. We talked about that problem last week, the problem of abundance. The problem is when we have too much, sometimes our solution is like that parable where Jesus said the guy was like, I know what I'm going to do with all this excess food. I'm going to build a bigger barn. We laugh a little because that's what Jesus' parables do. We chuckle and then we go, oh, like, have I been trying to build bigger barns actually? So these moments where we look and say like, are we serving money or is money serving us? Because I would say that more often than not, we are serving money and that's the exact opposite of what it should be. Money is a tool. It is a tool that should serve and benefit us, but we should never make it our whole life. Does that make sense? One of the things that we're going to talk about a lot, and you hear talked about a lot in in terms of money, is is not going into debt. Now, in 2022, there are certain financial realities, and I'm not going to sit up here and say that all debt is bad, because sometimes it's not. Um, Debt is a great financial tool to be used, and please talk with a trained financial advisor about that. Um, But there's a lot of ways that we can get into trouble with debt. There's a lot of ways that we can get into trouble with debt. Proverbs 22, 7 says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. That first slide I showed said this, that most people have a 45% debt to income ratio. That is not good debt, by the way. That is not a good use of that. Um, And so a lot of us are struggling with debt. For some, it could be as massive as those six-figure student loan bills that you have. Uh, For others, it could be that car payment that we said yes to that we really never should have. For others, it's those small things like when you're at the furniture store and the guy's like, hey, don't worry about this. You don't have to pay anything for the first few months. Like, man, that sounds great. And then a few months turn into a few months and suddenly you have to start paying. And boy, you did not read the fine print on that interest rate and it might be predatory. Um, And it is getting harder and harder and harder. But on the flip side, you're looking and going, man, this couch is really great, but the dining room table looks bad now. So we're gonna do the same thing with the dining room table. And again, we're not gonna have to pay for a few months. And before you know it, it has snowballed into this overwhelming amount of debt and interest. We know this, that when we are in debt to someone or something, it has a hold on us. It can control us, right? And so my advice to you is one, like I think there's a couple of things whether it comes to like our homes or other investment type things where, where that's not bad, but when it comes to consumer debt, man, I just really want to encourage you to as much as possible stay away from that because it has a hold on you. Something else that I, I, I always say to, to, to people, but especially to church people is unless it is your job, please do not lend people money. Unless it is your job, please do not lend people money. Um, There's a few commercial lenders and some personal lenders that go to Anchor and that is their day job and there are lots of regulations, especially post-2008, that are really helpful. Like That's their job. I'm not talking about that small group of people. I'm talking about when Uncle Bob comes to you and is like, hey, I'm on hard times. Can you loan me two grand? Like, Don't do that. No matter how much you love someone, can you do this? Will you not get into a lending, borrowing relationship with them? I'm not saying not help them. I actually think this, how cool would it be if when someone asks if they can borrow money, you say, no, but I'll give you money instead. 
Because here's what I guarantee will happen if you lend money to a family member or a personal friend. Your relationship will change. Your relationship will change. This is how like we, we go from 12 people to eight people at Thanksgiving dinner. Like that's just, that's the reality. <laughs> because the relationship changes. Now, it's a, it's a, there are some people who are like, I can say I'm lending, but in my head it's a gift. I'm like, if you can do that mental gymnastics, like good on you, I can't. And so I would just say this, like, can we as people know that the Bible talks about this relationship and says it gets murky. You have control, you have power over someone when you lend them money. So can we not be lenders unless that's our job? But can we, can we be generous people saying, no, I can't lend you that amount, but I can actually give you a smaller amount and I'd love to help you with your financial problem. Does that make sense? Because when we go, from, when we go from, get, from lending to giving, it actually helps us remember something really important, which is this is where our identity is. In Galatians 5.13, it said this again, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. I think sometimes serving one another humbly in love can mean giving someone money, but it can also be saying, like, I love you too much to ruin our relationship by lending you money, so let's figure out this problem together. Proverbs 11 says this in verse 28, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. If your trust is in your money and not in Jesus, you're going to have an anxious life. You are going to have an anxious life. If your sense of security is found in your portfolio and not in Jesus, you are going to have an anxious life. I know so many friends who had parents who had placed their security in their real estate portfolio and felt really good and really safe and really secure, and then 2007 happened. And I'm not, like, real estate's a great investment. I'm not saying not doing that, but I'm saying, like, where are we putting our identity? Where are we putting our value? Where are we putting our security? Because when what they put their security in went away almost overnight, they freaked out. They had a really hard moment where they go, I think I've been putting my trust in the wrong things. And it is hard not to equate our net worth with our identity, right? The word worth is in net worth. And so like society is like, well, this is your net worth. And it's really hard for that not to like slowly take root in your soul and be like, oh, that's my worth as an individual. And it's not. It just isn't. Our value is not in whether we are lower, middle, or upper class. It's not found in the neighborhood that we live in. It's not found in the toys that we buy for our kids or for ourselves. It's found in Jesus and what he says about us. And if you are in this room, if you are online, wherever you are, you need to know that what Jesus says about you is this, is that you are his child. You are wonderfully and fearfully made. And he loves you an incredible amount and there's nothing you can do to change that. Like that is our identity. That is where we place our value and identity and our worth. And we have to remember, like this is what freedom looks like. This is what identity looks like. And now we get to talk about wisdom and finances, right? Because if we just skip to the wisdom part, like this is a TED talk or it's Dave Ramsey or it's something like that, right? But this is a church and so this matters. As a church, we look and say, where does Jesus say our freedom is? Where does Jesus say our identity is? And now we're gonna talk through some financialism. Does that make sense? So as we talk through wisdom, you're going to hear some things that you've heard elsewhere. Probably things that you've heard in a TED Talk or Dave Ramsey or from a financial advisor um, and hopefully not from a 20-something influencer on Instagram, right? But like something that you've heard that's wise about money and that's okay. Uh, I had friends in college that I went to undergrad with who were biology majors. And I remember talking with them and they said, John, 
my faith in God has grown so much through my biology nature. Like the more that I've studied how God made this world, the more I've fallen in love with him as a creator. Like all truth is God's truth. And so we shouldn't be afraid of that. We get to talk about truth around finances and know that like God's not surprised by that. And it's somewhat probably how he made the world work, right? God's not surprised that we live in an economy. One of the things I think is really important last week is in one of those passages where Jesus is telling the disciples not to worry. He says this. He says, don't worry. Your father knows you have needs. That's so important to remember. Like, don't worry. And it's not that God doesn't care about your needs. It's not that he's, uh, like, he's not surprised. It's don't worry. God knows what you need. I love that. So as we talk through, through wisdom, again, my goal is this, is that everyone at Anchor would have a wise relationship with their money. Uh, an old pastor of mine named Wes, who leads a church called New Life on the Kitsap Peninsula, um, set up this kind of framework out really, really well. And he was talking about the way he used to view money, and it's the way I've used to view money at times, and I think the way some of us view money. And it's how we get into that problem that Thrivent laid out at the beginning, right? So it's this. Um, all of us have some form of earning financial capital, right? All of us have some way that we earn money. It could be a job where you work as a pastor, an electrician, a banker, a construction worker, wherever it is, right? Uh, maybe you provide financial benefit to your family by being the one who stays at home with the kids. You're not paying that much in childcare costs, right? Like whatever it is, we all have a way that we earn wages or money or finances. And so what we do with that, I think an old viewpoint, we can throw this up, is that we would earn money and then we would enjoy it. We would say, hey man, that direct deposit hit, that bank account balance is looking great, I'm gonna go spend some things. There's been four things in my Amazon shopping cart for the last month and now payday hit and I'm gonna hit send, right? Um, those are fun things, right? And then we would pay our bills because we have to pay our bills. And then with whatever's left over, we go, maybe I should save, I might, I, I, the saving sounds good. Someone old told me I should save money. I should do that. And then you're like, oh man, they talked about giving again. I guess I should give at church or I got that letter in the mail from the, you know, there's a guy ringing the bell at the grocery store, whatever it is. We're like, maybe I can give. But what happens, and we saw this in that sample budget that Thrivent put up there, is we usually run out of money right around the pay it stage. And so we don't save and we don't give. Now, a new way of looking at money and a, a helpful way, a wise relationship with money would do this. We earn the money, same thing that we always do. We earn the money. God says work is good, wages are good. He, he's in favor of that. And then we say, we're going to give it. We're going to give money. Then we're going to save it. We can throw this up on the screen. Then we're going to pay it. Then we're going to enjoy it. That's not fun, like, enjoy it is way down there from where John wants it to be. Nothing feels so good as spending something I probably don't need on, like, the second day of the month. Because the second day of the month means this. It means payday is hit. We get paid once a month at Anchor, so that's an that's a amount that hits. And the mortgage payment, even though I put it in on the first, doesn't go out to the third. So on day two, I look amazing. Like, I am flush with cash. I'm not. I'm a pastor. Please know that. Uh, but it feels that way. <laughs> it feels that way. I'm like, look at all that money because the mortgage isn't taken out. Um, but then what happens is if John does that, if John does enjoy it at that step, then about the 20th or the 22nd of the month, things look less fun. It gets really awkward in the Stifler household then. 
Right? And so what happens is this, is if we have a new viewpoint where we say, okay, we're going to earn our money and then we know how much we're giving. And I want to I put a pin in giving. We are going to talk about generosity in a couple of weeks. And here's, a, here's the, the preview that I want to give you. It's not just going to be a tithe 10% to the church. Like, that's not the talk. Like, I think God calls us to be generous. I think there's really good scripture in the Bible for giving to the church. But I think God calls us to be generous in cool ways that, like, we as a church will never know about or see. Like I just, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, actually a couple months ago, I talked about the idea of taking like 60 bucks in an envelope for like walk around random acts of generosity. Like that's fun, right? Hey, I just made giving fun for John, right? Um, it's cool, right? When we get to do those things where we get to say like, hey, what would it look like to have money set aside to give to someone who asks me to lend them money? That's cool. Right, like, because giving should be an act of worship, and I think sometimes that can be giving regularly to the church, but I think sometimes we need to do those fun, spontaneous things as well. At least John does. Uh, so we give it, right, and then we save it. Let's talk about savings. I had a high school student ask me this. They said, what do we need to save for? I was like, I love that question. Because John had that question as a 22-year-old, but thought his dad would get really mad at him for asking because he probably dozed off during too many of his dad's talks about money. And, and so here's a couple of things that we want you to be saving for. It's just free advice you guys can write down. One is this uh, two to three months emergency fund. Two to three months emergency fund. John, how do I know what two to three months is? Well, it's what you make in two to three months, ideally, right? That's an ideal. Uh, here's, a, here's another fun trick that John, who lacks willpower, does with his savings. I have a separate savings account that's not tied to a checking account that I don't have a debit card to that I cannot spend because I, I need that money hard to access. Like, I can get it quick if there's an emergency. It requires me to go in person to the bank and talk to a personal banker, which as an introvert is not fun for me. Um, and so that's enough of a barrier to keep me from spending that money. But if you're saving for emergency, like put it somewhere that it's hard for you to access, right? If you can hit three buttons and transfer it to your main checking account, you're probably not going to keep it as an emergency fund. Because it's so easy to go like, well, I think, I think new shoes is an emergency. It's not. It's not. Um... I think there's also these kind of midterm saving things that we can do, whether it's saving for a vacation or a family I knew once set aside 30 bucks a month uh, for Christmas presents at the end of the year. That's so cool. I love that. Like you can have separate things in our savings. Technology is amazing. It can be Excel spreadsheet. It can be you need a budget. It can be Mint. It can be any of these tools that are available that you can set aside like different funds in your savings accounts. Um, I wish that I had done a better job of saving for vacations because what happened is this. Uh, I'm a bit of a workaholic. We had gone two years of working really hard without any vacation away somewhere. Rose was like, John, for both our mental health and mainly yours, we need to get away. And I was like, cool, we can't afford that. But I knew we needed it, so I swiped the credit card. I don't know if I regret going on that trip. I definitely regret not planning better for it. Because then what happened is 12 to 18 months down the road, when we needed to go on another vacation to get away, I was like, oh, we actually can't because we're still paying off the last one. See, when we plan, when we do these like midterm savings things, um, it helps us. I love the idea of planning and having like 350, 360 bucks for Christmas gifts that you just set aside during the year and you get to go in happily that year instead of like doing the like, I felt like some years at Christmas, my wife and I are doing trigonometry with our Amazon shopping page where we're like, okay, what's the minimum gift that we can give someone so they think we still love them? And it looks personal. And who do we need to get gift cards to? And what's the minimum gift card? Like, as we're doing this and we're freaking out, I'm still putting 150 on the credit card, right? Like, when we plan, we get to live out in freedom. 
Here's the thing, um, it is hard to get budgets in order sometimes. We have resources available for that. If you will Google, you can write this down, if you would Google Thrivent Money Canvas, Thrivent Money Canvas, it's an amazing uh, tool that they have made available to anyone where you get three sessions where you're talking with someone. Um, you're not talking with me or with Jeremy and sometimes that's a little more comfortable. Uh, right, like my counselor doesn't go to anchor because that'd be weird for me. Um, it's the same thing. Like if you want to talk with someone about money who doesn't do finance, who doesn't go to your church here, that's awesome. It's one of the things Thrivent's available for. Um, so Thrivent Money Canvas, or you can email info at anchortacoma.org and just put like money resources in the subject line um, and we'll send that to you. Don't just put money, then we think it's good. Like it'll get flagged as spam and go to um, <laughs> like legitimate. If you just put money or a dollar sign, it'll get spam filtered out because they think you're scamming us. Um, but here's what I want to say is that, that budgeting is a really, really helpful tool, but guys, there's no magic solution. Uh, I've talked about this a bunch, but I was really cool in college. I was a clarinet performance major. Um, um, thank you. Um, <laughs> this is when we do the donation drive pitch. Um, <laughs> um, I have no problem auctioning off clarinet services. But um, we had an opportunity at SPU to have one of the world's most renowned clarinet players in the world come and give us a clinic. Uh, his name was Julian Bliss. You're supposed to gasp because you all know who that is. Um, no, but Julian Bliss was like a child prodigy at age 10, 11, and 12. He was playing on BBC TV for the Queen, like doing all this stuff. He had played solo concertos with some of the most well-known symphonies around the world. And he was coming to little old Seattle Pacific University to give us a clinic. I remember going like, this is what I want to do with my life. I'm going to pay attention. I remember I had my notebook out. I was really like paying tons of attention, taking notes. And someone asked him like, hey, what is your practice routine that helped you get to this level of excellence? Because when you're playing professional music or you're aspiring to be a professional musician, like in college, I was practicing two to three hours a day on clarinet. And so I remember like he would go through his routine and we'd ask questions and we asked him probably about 45 minutes worth of questions on just like what was his routine? Things like long tones and scales and breathing exercises and all these things that I think are cool and like two people in the room do. But I remember going like this is it. This is the roadmap to that level of success. And then I went into the practice room and I opened the folder and my heart sank. I knew everything he said. Like everything that he had said a lesson teacher had already told me. And that's when that realization hit where I go, oh, the only thing standing between me and him is how hard I'm willing to work. There's no magic solution. There's no three quick tricks to get to that level. And guys, I promise you the same thing is true with our finances. The same thing is true with our finances. If you are in a spot financially that you're struggling with and you feel like you're beating your head against the wall, you're probably gonna keep having to do these same principled budgeting practices over time and that's how you'll see freedom. There is no guaranteed get rich quick thing. In fact, when we say yes to those things, oftentimes we don't know what we're saying yes to and we dig ourselves deeper. I have friends of mine who I love dearly who obliterated their savings in cryptocurrency. That hurts my heart. They were so sure. They're like, no, John, I've seen the numbers. I've seen people get rich off of this. I've seen it. I know it says it's a speculative investment, but John, this is a sure thing. And they, they, they blew up their savings. 
There is no get rich quick thing. And I think sometimes that's hard for us to hear of like, man, I've been beating my head against the wall. I wanted the financial tools and I've realized that I actually have the financial tools. So if that's you today, I want to say a couple things to you. One, like I've been there. You're going to get through this season. Probably not as quickly as you'd like, but you're going to get through this season. The second thing is this, is that there are people in this room who would love to help you get out of that hole that you've dug. Or maybe that the world dug for you, right? Sometimes financial things just happen to us and we need to acknowledge that. But however you got into that hole, there are people in this room who would love to help pull you out of it. And there's also, this is a third group of people. There are people who are there, right there with you in the hole. They're saying, let's find a way out of this together. That's the power of the church, right? We're gonna have the band and the prayer teams come forward. Um, one of the things that I love about the church, and, and Brian touched on this a little bit last week, like this is one of the least stratified economic spheres that we have in America today. Like this is one of the rooms where there are people with very little financial means and significant financial means sitting shoulder to shoulder talking about life and about Jesus. And here's the important thing for us to remember. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Man, if you have any questions about finances or about things where like, I had someone come up to me after the last gathering and say, hey, I have these concerns about my business. And I know a decent amount about business finance, but one of the things I love about Anchor is this. I was like, we actually have like three commercial lenders here and five business owners that I know of who are looking for community like this. You're sitting going, man, what does it look like to get a loan for my business? What does it look like to get started in real estate? What does it look like to take this next step financially for my family? We have people in this church who would love to sit down and talk with you because that's what they're passionate about. That's how God has gifted and wired them and they would love to help you take that next step in your finances. And so if that's, if that's you where you're like, man, I wanna, I wanna ask for help in that area or I could use some advice in that area, send that email to info at we're going to send whatever info you request for out of that email address. We don't care who emails that. If you, for like your own heart, and I've done this before, and you say, this is for a friend I was sitting by, and I'm reaching out for my, that's fine. Like, that's totally fine. Because here's our goal is this, is that we want everyone here to have a wise relationship with their money. And that we can start to tell a new story about freedom and finances together. As we close, we're going to close with communion and we're doing that for two reasons. One, it's how we close every gathering because we think this tradition of remembering Jesus' sacrifice is really important. But also, just like I started this talk about freedom and money and these practical aspects of, of, of freedom and money with this idea of freedom, we have to end with that freedom as well. We can go to the next slide. We have to end with that freedom as well. We can just get to the title. It's great. Um, we can't lose sight of the fact that our identity and our value is not found in money. Our identity and our value and our purpose and our worth is found in Jesus and what he says about us. That's why we're closing with communion. It's this moment of significance where Jesus sat with his disciples right before he knew he was going to be brutally murdered. He said, this is my body that is breaking for you. So my blood that is shed for you, do this in remembrance of me. So the band's gonna play another song as we talk and we pray and we sit and reflect on these things. And, and here's my hope for you is one, if you haven't found this spiritual freedom that Jesus offers, this true freedom that offers us both hope today and tomorrow, that you would say yes to that today. That you would go to someone at one of these prayer stations by these black walls, or you turn to a neighbor or a family member or a friend that's with you that you trust and say, I need that hope. 
I need that real freedom because I've been chasing after freedom of other kinds and I need the one that Jesus offers. My second is this, is that if this, if this talk stirred up something for you, whether it was anxiety, whether it was worry, whether it was stress, whether it was shame, that one, you would look around the room and know you are not alone. I promise you're not the only one feeling that. And two, that you would take advantage of the people at the prayer stations who would love to pray about that with you, who would love to pray with you and say, I'm here with you. We're gonna find a way out of this hole together. You guys pray with me this morning. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the way that you always provide for us, God. You know exactly what it is we need, God. I thank you that you're not surprised by our needs, that you're not scared of our needs, that you are aware and caring and you meet our needs, God. God, I pray for those who have been trying to find freedom on their own, God, that they would finally turn to you and say, I'm tired of doing this my way, God. I want to do it yours. God, I also pray for this, for anyone who feels chained down, anyone who feels stuck, anyone who feels like they're at the bottom of this financial hole, God, that you would remind them through the stories in this room that there is hope. God, may the church be the church when it comes to our finances. May we be a people that talk about finance in a really healthy way. May we be people who help each other, who give each other advice, who lean on each other, and who work together to have a wise relationship with our money. So God, I pray if there's anyone who's feeling that anxiety, that stress, that shame, God, that you would remind them so clear that you know them and you love them and there's nothing they can do about that. God, we thank you for everything you've done for us. In your name, amen.